everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Jefferson County, Indiana. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Forty-six-year-old Tammy Blanton was a simple woman who lived a peaceful life. She wasn't the kind of person who was chasing after something bigger and better. She was just happy where she was. She loved her job. She loved her co-workers. She had a few really close friends because quality over quantity, and she had a place in her heart for the underdog, which might have been why in April of 2014, she started dating a guy named Joseph Oberhansley. Joseph was 13 years younger than her, but he was weathered, and frankly, he weathered himself. He had one hell of a criminal record, and that's putting it lightly. All the way back in 1998, when Joseph was in his late teens, his girlfriend Sabrina got pregnant and had a baby. The three of them were living with family, it looks like it was his mom and his sister, and one day, Joseph just snapped. According to Deseret News, on a day that had no indications that it would be different than any other, Joseph walked into the shared home, pulled a gun out of a bag, and opened fire on his family. While Joseph's mom was holding his newborn baby, Joseph shot his girlfriend multiple times. Instinctively, Joseph's mother put down the baby and got on the floor to try and help Sabrina, but while she was doing that, Joseph turned the gun on her and shot her as well. Joseph's sister was terrified and had almost no time to react, but in a split second, she knew she had to save the baby, so she grabbed it and ran out of the house. After she did, Joseph turned the gun on himself and tried to commit suicide. Joseph and his mother survived, but Sabrina didn't, and Joseph was charged with murder and attempted murder, but pled out to manslaughter and attempted murder. According to Deseret News, his defense said that the bullet still lodged in his brain had made him calmer. When it came to Joseph's sentencing, Wave 3 reports that he was sentenced to 15 years. But he wasn't made to serve out his sentences consecutively. He was able to serve them concurrently, which meant that he was serving both of his sentences at the same time. Somehow, he qualified for a parole hearing by 2004, and according to the outlet, some of his family begged them not to release him, saying that 15 years wasn't enough to begin with. Whatever the outcome might be, his grandfather told Deseret News that he's going to get out in five to seven years and do it again. Not all of his family agreed, though. Wave 3 reports that his mother, the one he shot, defended Joseph saying that she thought the drugs he was on at the time had a lot to do with it. Joseph wasn't paroled that year, but he did get paroled in 2012. And according to the Courier-Journal, he went on to live with his mother who had forgiven him for shooting her. Ultimately, though, he wound up requesting approval to move to Indiana, where he'd be monitored by the Interstate Commission for Adult Offender Supervision. That move to Indiana is where Tammy comes in. Tammy knew about his past, but her father told the Courier-Journal that she was trying to give the man with murderous deeds tattooed across his back a second chance. Her father said that he seemed like a nice guy at first and had even helped him build a deck. Joseph and Tammy wound up moving in together and neighbors had the same sentiment. 
According to WLKY, he was friendly, would always stop and say hi, and would even cut the neighbor's lawn from time to time. But, as always, things aren't always as inspirational as they seem. Joseph wasn't some reformed asshole who'd made bad decisions in his teens. He was just an asshole on parole with no limits. Because for him, there was no one holding him accountable for a damn thing. The longer Tammy dated Joseph, the more Tammy withdrew from her friends. One friend told Nancy Grace that Tammy just stopped seeing them, and Tammy's own Facebook account became a joint account. And yes, we all just cringed. The longer Tammy dated Joseph, the more Tammy withdrew from her friends. One friend told Nancy Grace that Tammy's own Facebook account became a joint account and that Tammy just stopped seeing them. But maybe she was withdrawing because she had gone to bat for Joseph over and over again, but he was back to his old ways one arrest at a time. In March of 2013, the Courier-Journal reports that Joseph started going to a local bar alone. Eventually, witnesses say that he met a woman at the bar and agreed to go home with her. This encounter seems to match up with an arrest later that year, where News and Tribune reports that police were called to an apartment for a fight. When police got there, the Courier-Journal reports that a woman opened the door and yelled, He's killing my boyfriend. Police found Joseph completely naked and choking a man. He was arrested and charged with felony strangulation and misdemeanor resisting law enforcement. Resisting naked, but who's counting? You would think that getting yourself a violent felony while on parole for manslaughter and attempted murder would get your parole revoked and send you back to jail to serve out the rest of your sentence. But no, Joseph's parole officer was never notified. Maybe if he had been, Joseph wouldn't have been involved in a police pursuit the following year. In July of 2014, News and Tribune reports that Joseph led police on a 40-minute, low-speed chase that went from Indiana into Kentucky. Was his parole officer notified? According to WLKY, his parole officer wasn't notified of this arrest until after Joseph's parole had expired, which was on July 23rd of 2014, and at that point there was nothing he could do. The prosecutor in charge of that case was pissed. He was sick of Joseph constantly getting away with his bullshit and requested a $25,000 cash bond so he would have to stay in jail this time. According to Owen's bonding, with a cash bond, you have to pay the full amount up front and you don't qualify for a bondsman or putting up collateral. All of that sounded like a good plan, but unbeknownst to the prosecutor that requested the cash bond, WLKY reports that another prosecutor came in and made a deal. He lowered Joseph's bond to $5,000, and just $505 later, Tammy bonded Joseph out of jail. He was now a free man with no parole hanging over his head, not like it ever made a difference, and he could do whatever he wanted. It would take just two months for Joseph to escalate to a point that no one could have ever imagined. On 
On Monday, September 8th, 2014, Wave 3 reports that Tammy came into work and told a co-worker that over the weekend, she had been a victim of sexual abuse. According to WDRB, one of Tammy's friends said that Tammy had been held hostage over the previous weekend, and Tammy was scared. She packed a bag and stayed with that friend for the next couple of days. Her and Joseph's relationship was over, and she knew that he was pissed. She was afraid to go home, and she needed to change the locks. According to News and Tribune, Joseph actually went to Tammy's work the following day, Tuesday the 9th, and surprised her by tapping on her shoulder. Her co-worker said that it looked like the life went out of Tammy's body, and a manager actually wound up asking him to leave. By Wednesday, September 10th, Tammy's father had gone over to change the locks, and that night she went back. It was her home, and she wasn't going to let Joseph scare her out of living her life. According to the outlet, she told her friend that she had the police on speed dial if anything happened. And something did happen. Just hours after she got home, at 2.52 a.m., Wave 3 reports that Tammy made a call to 911. She said that her ex-boyfriend Joseph was trying to break into her house. Police got there about eight minutes later to find Joseph walking on the left side of Tammy's house coming from the back. I think it's safe to say that about 0.3% of people trying to get in your back door at 2.52 in the morning are there for anything positive, and Joseph was not. According to WDRB, the responding officer said that Joseph was really, really upset, saying that he owned the deed to the house and that the locks had been changed. When the officer spoke to Tammy, she acknowledged that, yes, the locks had been changed because she didn't want him there. That was all the officer needed to hear, so he told Joseph that he needed to leave. Where did Joseph go? WLKY reports that he ran straight to his mommy. He woke her up at 3.30 in the morning so she could come sit with him in his car while he complained about Tammy and his job situation. As far as anyone else knew, this was where the confrontation ended that night. But by 9 a.m., it seemed pretty clear that it wasn't. Tammy was supposed to show up for work that morning, but she didn't. It looks like two or three people, friends and co-workers, all tried calling Tammy on her cell phone, but no one could get a hold of her. But it wasn't because her phone was going straight to voicemail. No, someone was answering her phone, but it was a man who claimed to be several different people. At one point, a man answered Tammy's phone claiming to be her brother Jason and said that Tammy was at her dad's house. The caller knew that the person on the other end of the phone wasn't Jason, so they called again, but this time they were told that Tammy wasn't there and that she had the wrong number. As the calls went on, WDRB reports that friends were told that the man picking up Tammy's phone was Jason, John, and Joe. And obviously it all sounded like bullshit, so they called the police to do a welfare check. And that is where the nightmare began. Around 10 a.m., News and Tribune reports that the police knocked on Tammy's door. And who of all people answered? Joseph. Now, these officers didn't know him from a toad on a log, so when they asked him to identify himself, he simply said that he was Joe. According to WLKY, when they asked him for some form of ID to verify that, he said that he didn't have any with him. If there's one place ever that you're pretty much guaranteed to have some kind of identification available, it's inside of a house. But 
whatever, we know he's a piece of crap, so let's carry on. They were there to do a welfare check on Tammy, so they asked where she was, and Joseph said that he didn't know. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Through the use of seeing eyeballs, WLKY reports that officers noticed a fresh wound on Joseph's right hand. That coupled with the fact that he was being evasive and slow to answer their questions, they decided to pat him down for weapons before going any further. But instead of placing his hands on the wall like they asked him to, Joseph started reaching for his back pocket. That was stupid. Inside of Joseph's back pocket, they found a folding knife that when folded was a set of brass knuckles. But it wasn't folded. In this dude's ass pocket was a fully extended knife that had not only blood on it, but hair on it. At this point, it was clear that this welfare check was going to turn into something so much more, so they detained Joseph and started clearing each room, making their way down the hall and into the bathroom. The bathroom was a scene worse than any horror movie. It was covered in blood, and according to the Courier-Journal, there was a vinyl tarp covering the bathtub. When police peeled back the tarp, they found Tammy dead. According to News and Tribune, a large piece of the front of her skull was missing and her chest had been cut open. The house was immediately declared a crime scene and the bathroom wasn't even the worst of it. Between reports from WLKY and Mirror.co, when police got to the kitchen, they found a plate with what appeared to be skull and blood on it, and in the trash can found a skillet and a pair of tongs with blood on the handles and tissue on them. Tammy's house had become a house of horrors and police wanted answers, so they took Joseph down to the police station to ask him some questions. They read him his rights, which Westport News reports he waived. And instead of remaining silent, Joseph told the police that he'd hit Tammy multiple times with a knife, killing her, and then used a jigsaw to cut open her skull. His account of what happened sounded horrifying, but the truth was way worse. According to WTOC, Tammy's autopsy showed that she had been stabbed 25 times, some of which were to her nose and mouth. According to WLKY, the majority of her heart, a portion of her lungs, and a large section of her brain had been removed, which Joseph then cooked and ate. With that, Joseph was charged with murder, abuse of a corpse, and breaking and entering. The prosecutor that had wanted him held on that $25,000 cash bond just a couple of months earlier was furious because if it were up to him, Joseph wouldn't have even been out of jail. News and Tribune reported that the prosecutor decided that he would be seeking the death penalty. Five days after finding Tammy murdered in her own bathtub, Joseph had his first day in court. And even though he had told police damn near every detail they never wanted to hear, he stood up in front of the court and proclaimed his innocence. According to WLKY, he said that the police had the wrong guy and that he was actually Zeus Brown a former NFL player for the Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns. He added in the fact that he wasn't sure if he was a U.S. citizen. Let's pause this for a second. Joseph is a spiky-haired little white guy who, unless the Indiana Department of Corrections is staffed by giants, is a shrimp. Zeus Brown, on the other hand, was a 6-foot, 7-inch, 
360-pound African-American male who was most certainly a U.S. citizen born in Washington, D.C. But Zeus Brown had passed away before Joseph had even been paroled. Once again, Joseph was claiming to be someone else. First it was Jason, then John and Joe, and now Zeus. It was clear that this was about to be an uphill battle, but this time he wasn't going to get out on bond. It was denied. Tammy's dad told Nancy Grace, I wish they'd kill him tomorrow. I want him gone. I want him dead. As these cases go, there were several hearings that followed the first, and each one got a little more wild than the last. Joseph had a problem with keeping his mouth shut, and at one hearing where the charges of dismemberment and felony burglary were added on, News and Tribune reports that Joseph said, You guys have your facts all wrong. If anyone has been robbed, it's me. It's ridiculous. You all are trying to put this on my head. And I repeat... The lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch. Tammy's case dragged on for a long time. Joseph was in jail, but the updates were pretty spaced out. In May of 2015, Joseph got an additional charge of rape, and in August of 2016, the Indy Star reports that his defense tried to get it dropped. It was not. By February of 2017, Joseph still hadn't gone to trial, and the request for a competency evaluation that we all saw coming the second he tried to claim he was Zeus Brown was ordered. Eight months later, he was deemed incompetent and ordered to undergo treatment at the Indiana Division of Mental Health and Addiction until his competency could be restored. This is always frustrating, especially in a case that had already dragged on for more than three years. But the prosecutor told the Courier-Journal that while he was hoping Tammy's case would have been tried by this point, their priority was to get a verdict that would stick, one that would survive appeal, which meant making sure that Joseph was mentally capable of participating in his own defense. Within nine months of being declared incompetent, a psychiatrist deemed that Joseph's competency had been restored, but at a hearing in August of 2018, his attorneys asked for a month to speak with Joseph to come to their own conclusion as to whether or not he really was competent. During that hearing, News and Tribune reports that Joseph, in true can't-shut-the-fuck-up fashion, interrupted the proceedings to say he couldn't work with his attorneys because they were trying to control his mind. When the judge told him that he needed to talk to his attorneys about that, Joseph blurted out again this time saying that he didn't kill Tammy, two other men had, and that he was tired of dealing with all of this stuff and that he just wanted to be executed. I guess at the very least, he's not Zeus anymore. Joseph's attorneys argued again that he wasn't competent to stand trial, but ultimately dropped that argument and a trial date was set for August of 2019, just one month shy of the five-year anniversary of Tammy's murder. Seven months before the trial was set to begin, the Miami Herald reported that Joseph was planning to plead insanity at his trial. To prove insanity, he'd have to prove that he didn't know right from wrong when he killed Tammy, 
In this case, you'd look at whether or not Joseph did anything to cover up what he did, which would point to the fact that he knew what he was doing was wrong. So let's make a list. He threw a skillet and tongs with blood and tissue on them in the trash. He covered her body with a vinyl tarp. Instead of letting Tammy's phone go to voicemail, he pretended to be her brother, told one person she was at her dad's, and told another that they had the wrong number. When police showed up, he told them that he was Joe and that he didn't know where Tammy was, and when they tried to pat him down for weapons, grabbed for his back pocket where they found a bloody knife with hair on it. Sounds like a hard pass, but Joseph himself didn't even want to plead insanity. According to the Courier-Journal, he felt like pleading insanity would be admitting guilt, and instead of being sent to a mental health facility, said that he'd rather have a regular trial where he'd have the possibility of being found not guilty and could walk away a free man. There was some gray area as to whether or not Joseph was even capable of rejecting his own insanity defense, but in the end, the judge allowed it. In July of 2019, the prosecution and the defense negotiated an interesting agreement. The prosecution agreed to take the death penalty off the table if the defense agreed not to present any mental health evidence at the trial. Joseph was no longer facing the death penalty, and if found guilty, his maximum sentence would be life in prison without the possibility of parole. In the weeks leading up to Joseph's trial, there were hearings to suppress evidence. Details of his criminal history and prior drug use were deemed inadmissible, and according to WLKY, one of the things the defense wanted to suppress were text messages from Tammy where she said she was scared of Joseph and where she claimed he had raped her the weekend prior to her murder. At that hearing, Joseph did what Joseph does and went on a rant about how Tammy was just getting drunk and high and texting a bunch of bullcrap that Tammy's claims of being raped were bullcrap. That wasn't all, though. According to the outlet, Joseph claimed that he had uncovered new evidence that pointed to his innocence. His revelation was that Tammy couldn't have been killed with that cheap little knife investigators had found, which was compelling. The last sentence was a lie. As he was leaving the courthouse, Joseph's mouth was still on autopilot, and he tried his damnedest to hold his own press conference with the media that was waiting out front, telling them that two men had killed Tammy and that he'd been telling the police that from the beginning. And while dude's mouth was on fast forward, if we rewind for a second, we can get all the way back to the part where he waived his rights and admitted to killing Tammy. On August 19th of 2019, the jury selection for Joseph's trial finally began. The trial was going to be held in the county Tammy was killed in, but the jury would be chosen from a different county for a change of venue type situation. According to Wave 3, the jury was going to be sequestered throughout the trial, and WDRB reported that they wouldn't be allowed any electronic devices could not communicate with anyone, and couldn't watch or read anything that had to do with the case. It took three days, but on the 22nd, the trial began, and he'd walked into that courtroom wearing a suit that looked like it had been made for someone eight inches taller. He'd been instructed to knock off the outburst, or he'd be watching his trial instead of attending it. During the first day of testimony, News and Tribune reported that Joseph had told the police that he'd gone to Tammy's house that night to talk some sense into her. The New York Post reports that once in the house, Tammy locked herself in the bathroom, but Joseph kicked down the door. 
The jury was shown a taped interview of Joseph after he was taken into custody, and according to reports by Rachel Krause with Wave 3, when detectives asked him if Tammy was scared, Joseph told them, truth be told, she really wasn't that scared, surprisingly, like she knew. In the interview, Joseph also admitted to eating Tammy's brain and other organs. Throughout the first day, Wave 3 reported that Joseph would say, I object, under his breath. When it was the defense's turn to try and make their case, the New York Post reports that they told the jury to consider whether someone who ate parts of their ex-girlfriend was thinking right, which seems like a really shit argument considering it could be applied to any trial of anyone charged with doing anything heinous. The second day of Joseph's trial was a shit show. WASH reports that he walked into the courtroom and said, prosecutors know I'm not guilty. That's why they dropped the death penalty. I can only assume that the face that you just made is how the defense was feeling at that exact moment. Throughout the rest of the day, WDRB reported that he continued to object to things on his own and that the judge had to give him a talking to about his outbursts. The trial continued on, and WDRB reported on two of Tammy's friends' testimony. The first friend was a co-worker who had texted Tammy the night before she was murdered. She said, you should not have to live in fear, and you won't. Tammy responded with, was a roller coaster, but I weathered the storm. Tammy had also texted this friend right after Joseph showed up at her house in the middle of the night and said, I told him I had 911 ready if he wanted to pull some shit. The next friend that testified talked about the weekend before Tammy's murder, where she says Tammy had been held hostage. She told the court that Tammy didn't call 911 because she didn't want Joseph going back to jail and that he was reformed. That one comment sent this entire trial up in smoke, because like we mentioned earlier, Joseph's previous criminal history wasn't allowed to be brought up. The trial came to a screeching halt and a mistrial was declared. When the jury was told, the outlet reports that they let out audible gasps and one even said, oh my God, they were in complete shock. With that trial over, the prosecution was going to have to start from square one, picking another jury from another county. But according to WDRB, after going through every single person in the new jury pool, not a single one was selected. They were going to have to try and find another jury from a third county, and that wasn't expected to happen until at least January or February of 2020. Everyone wondered at this point if the prosecutor would offer Joseph some kind of plea deal. But according to WLKY, that wasn't going to happen. He had promised that there would be no plea deal in Tammy's case, only a trial. And I'd love to tell you that the jury process began on schedule, but that's not what happened. In January of 2020, WNDU reports that he was found incompetent to stand trial once again. He was sent to a state facility for competence restoration, but just in case, News and Tribune reported that a tentative trial date was set for September 8th of 2020, should his competency be restored by then. And it was. Joseph's second trial began six years to the day that Tammy was murdered. 
And according to WDRB, Joseph walked into the courtroom and announced, I'm not guilty of these charges. Words that might not age well. An insane amount of evidence was presented at Joseph's second trial. News and Tribune reported on damage to Tammy's back door and her bathroom door, a bloody cloth, bloody paper towels, tongs and a frying pan with blood on it, and what police described as a plate and utensils with flesh on it. The first officer that went into the house testified, and according to News and Tribune, found blood on the light switches and a tarp on the ground with different tools laid out. According to WFPL, Tammy had been stabbed near her left eye, her nose had been fractured, she had bruising to her face, injuries to her left breast area, and several superficial wounds. This was on top of the portion of her skull that was missing, the fact that her chest had been cut open, and pieces of her heart and lung had been removed. According to the outlet, Tammy had lost so much blood in the bathroom that the jigsaw used was found submerged in it. When it came to the DNA portion of the evidence, WFPL reports that Tammy's DNA was found on the jigsaw, a knife, a steak knife, a frying pan, tongs, a fork, and a plate. Her DNA was also found on Joseph's right hand and left palm. I hate to even say this, but Joseph's semen was found on Tammy's body which indicated that sexual acts had occurred that morning, and the prosecution argued that Tammy could not have consented to this. Joseph didn't agree with any of the defense's arguments and took the stand to make sure that everyone knew. According to WFPL, Joseph told a tale of him going over to Tammy's at 4 a.m. and Tammy actually letting him in but I'm pretty sure she called the police on him at 2.52 a.m., so that sounds like a hard no, but he kept going. While at Tammy's house, Joseph claims that two men had a scuffle and that he saw one of them stab Tammy before he himself was knocked out. According to the outlet, Joseph claims that he was unconscious until he woke up, saw the knife on the floor, grabbed it, and opened the door for police. This dude is saying that he was knocked out for like six hours, but we have heard zero testimony about him having a head injury that would have been a pretty serious one if, in fact, it wasn't imaginary. I suppose he also answered all of Tammy's phone calls while unconscious as well. As far as Joseph's confession, he claimed that it was coerced and that he was just going along with what the police were saying. Sounds like some horseshit to me, but have no fear, the prosecution was there. The prosecutor asked Joseph if he was being coerced when he said that she wasn't that scared, surprisingly, and a fucking gun would make this easier. I don't want to have to do this. After Joseph wrapped up his testimony, the trial was finally over and the jury was sent out for deliberations. According to WFPL, it took them just five hours to come to a unanimous decision. Joseph Oberhansley was found guilty of both murder and burglary, but was found not guilty of rape. When it came to his sentencing, he received the maximum punishment allowed, life in prison without the possibility of parole. Tammy Blanton saw the best in everyone. She saw the highest potential of who she knew they could be. But as we know, not everyone is capable or willing to reach that potential. Tammy gave Joseph a second chance at life, and in return, he stole hers, and he will spend every minute of the rest of his life thinking about it. 
For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Tammy's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Mm-hmm.